Eagles Entertainment. Our thing is uh, everybody's somebody. And, and most people don't know how well they can do something until they really test themselves. In 1976, Coach Dick Vermeil landed in Philadelphia. The young coach was now responsible for one of the worst teams in the NFL. Jimmy Murray said, Coach, you come and turn this program around, you'll be bigger than John Wayne in Philadelphia. That's what he says. That's exactly what he said. 46 years later, Coach Vermeil is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But Vermeil was not an overnight success. This season on Return Game, Coach Vermeil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation, we're taking you through the twists and turns of his legendary career. We go back to the beginning, Hillsdale High School and UCLA. First saw Dick Vermeil as our coach in the summer of 1960 for summer practices. And it was obvious from the very beginning that this was going to be a new experience. Players win games, not coaches. We were uh, going into the Rose Bowl, the uh, biggest underdog, I think, in the history of the Rose Bowl. To his years with the Philadelphia Eagles. That was a hostile place that the Cowboys walked into. I was taking my headset off, you know, and the game is over, I'm like this, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And I can remember Coach Vermeil on the sideline, walking up to guys and hugging them and saying, we're going to the Super Bowl. I said, Len Jim, I'm just burnt out. I need to take a break. Then, after 15 years away from the sideline, he returns to coach the Rams. I was so confident. This football team was unbeatable. I thought we caught some lightning in the bottle, I'm gonna be honest with you. I remember looking up and seeing a big billboard that said, good luck coach, and had Dick Vermeil's face on it. He finally reached the mountaintop, but he just couldn't walk away. I started thinking, oh God, maybe I made a mistake. And I just remember seeing this little gray-haired, white-haired man with glasses on TV, crying at the podium all the time. Every week he'd come running out of the tunnel at the end and he'd run up the sidelines and he'd always wave up to the booth to Carol. Over six episodes, it's an in-depth look at Coach Ramil's life, career, and legacy. Hear stories from Coach Ramil, Randy Cross, Herm Edwards, Ron Jaworski, Isaac Bruce, Kurt Warner, Dante Hall, and many, many more. If you work real hard and invest a lot of hours in getting better and you're an unselfish person and you do what you're asked to do as hard as you can do it every day on the practice field, well, Sunday it becomes just part of your personality. Subscribe now so you don't miss a minute of Return Game, Coach for Meal, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for the unofficial quarter poll here in college football. It is week four, and to do that, we've got a great trio of guests. We're going to start things off with Jordan Reed from ESPN. He is this week's Mr. Relevant. We're going to chat through some of his thoughts on the first couple games here in 2022 and some of the players that he feels he is a little bit higher on than most at this point in the process. Then we get into this week's matchups here in Saturday Scouting. Ben Fennell and I talk through some of those prospects to watch this weekend in college football. Also another mock draft that we are going to keep an eye on here. This one from the Draft Network. Stay tuned for that segment. Then we've got pick six. Ross Tucker, he is back. We're 
We're going to continue our head-to-head battle. Uh, did I extend my lead? Did Ross come back? We'll talk through it there at the end of the show. As always, make sure you head on over to our Apple Podcast page. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've got a question, leave it there in the comment box. We will get to it here in an upcoming episode. So that said, let's get into uh, this week's episode. This week's Mr. Relevant, Jordan Reed from ESPN. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome back here for Mr. Relevant this week on the Journey of the Draft podcast, a guy who has been on the, on the show a number of times in the past. That is Jordan Reed from ESPN. You could follow him on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. Jordan, welcome back to the show, man. Absolutely, friend. It's always a pleasure being here. I'm a frequent listener of the podcast, so uh, it's always a pleasure being on, of course. No, I appreciate it, man. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, recently, uh, I know you were at the uh, the Texas Tech-NC State game, uh, and you were tweeting out uh, from the sidelines just some shots of some of the top prospects. And you uh, were talking about Texas Tech pass rusher Tyree Wilson, and I know he was your stock-up player after seeing him live in Week 3 uh, against the uh, against the Wolfpack. Would love to just get your notes on Tyree Wilson. I know he was one of the top senior defenders coming into the season. Uh, what do you see as his biggest strength? ranks defensively and what do you think his ceiling could be in the NFL yeah well that atmosphere was just electric being there at NC State really good highly ranked opponent to go against and we always talk about what are some of the first games that teams are going to watch when they're watching some of these highly tied guys and I think this is one of the better ones along with him playing Texas this week those are probably one of the first two games that teams are going to pop in and I mean, just seeing him up close, friend, you see 6'6", 275 pounds on paper, but it's just different seeing it in person. And I was just wild with his size. He's every bit of it, 35 and 5 eighths inch arms, 86 inch wingspan. He's every bit of that. Just seeing him in warmups, all you see is just scouts around him, just taking notes and everybody sharing each other's notes. So, I mean, he wows you with the size and I think it carried over into the game. And that's something that we wanted to see from him this year. He has the size. But are the traits going to carry over into the game? And we saw some of those things last year, but I think he's taken it to another level this year. And he had 11 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss and two sacks in that game. So obviously he had those standout plays that you wanted to see from him. I think he needs to get better as a run defender. He kind of leaves. He plays really high right now. The pad yep. level needs to get lower. Um, he, he's, a, he's a huge target. And, you know, some of those pin pull schemes that NC State was running, he kind of got pinned inside a little bit more than what I wanted to see him get. Uh, so he needs to improve as a run defender. But as far as a pass rusher, I think he has a ton of upside there. Yeah, we're sitting here just a few weeks into the season. So plenty of football left. Obviously, the entire pre-draft process after the season uh, left to go. But how do you kind of view him uh, big picture? Do you think he's you know, mid first round? Is he out of the first round? Like, uh, How do you kind of view him at this stage of the process? I think he was a fringe first round guy coming into the year, honestly, just because when you talk about the size profile and then we always talk about betting on the traits and the upside. We saw what happened with Trayvon Walker a year ago and the meteoric rise that he had. And not to say that Wilson is going to have that type of rise, but I think when it's all said and done, I think he's going to be top 15 to top 20 type of player just because when you talk about the combination of size, who he is right now as a pass rusher and then being able to teach him those nuances of being a run defender on top of him being scheme versatile too. I think he's going to check a lot of boxes. 
uh, I, I know when I studied him in the fall or in the uh, in the summer, a name that I wrote down was Alex Okafor. And Okafor, I remember when he came out of Texas a bunch of years ago. Um, you know, he was viewed during, at this stage of the process. Oh, this guy could be that same kind of uh, mid, you know, mid first rounder, fringe first rounder. Uh, and I think they have similar kind of traits. Okafor played a long time in the league as a starter, and, and then eventually as more of a rotational backup. But uh, did you have a guy that you kind of wrote down while watching him? Was there anybody that uh, kind of came to mind when you uh, from a player? comparison standpoint yeah just studying him this summer Marcus Davenport was one that I wrote down Um, I think he's a little bit more physically gifted than what Davenport was at this stage as far as prospects and we'll see if he does test like Davenport tested he has some incredible testing numbers at his size and I think he ended up being the 14th overall pick to New Orleans and then also Carlos Dunlap just from a size profile that was another name that I wrote down too they have a lot of similarities you have been a road warrior uh, here this fall. You have been on the road often, uh, checking out games in your area. And I know you saw Georgia live. And it's funny. Uh, the, the earlier this week, Ben and I were talking about, um, do, you know, just the the player, the, the different schools that churn out successful prospects at, at the same positions over and over. And it's just exciting to hear about like who's next in the pipeline. And you know, seeing Georgia, obviously we know the big names right now, right? You know, Jalen yeah. Carter, top ten pick, Nolan Smith, likely first round pick, Keely Ringo, the corner, likely first round pick, et cetera. You go right down the line. But who's a guy that might be flying under the radar right now? Because obviously it's more than just that group that's playing at a high level, um, but someone that could be a future high pick. And it might not be for 2023, but you know, a year ago at this time, you just mentioned Trayvon Walker. He was very much on the periphery, was not being talked about really uh, by most people in, in week three of college football a year ago uh, as the number one overall pick, certainly. So is there a guy that maybe not to that, that high standard, but someone that were like, yeah, man, like this guy can play. We are going to be talking about him sooner rather than later. Well, I kind of cheated on this one a little bit. I have a bunch of answers for you. Um, I did want to talk about Brock Bowers a little bit, just seeing him, um, just talking to scouts on the sideline, just seeing Brock Bowers. Everybody was like, wow, that's him right there. And the scout had a funny comment saying that if we were playing a pickup basketball game, he probably would have been the last guy that was Mm -hmm. selected. Just seeing him up close, you would never guess that that was Brock Bowers. So seeing him in person was incredible. But two players, I think, really fall into this category that I wrote down. They're actually guys that are draft eligible this year, and they're both young guys, and they're along the offensive line. And the first one that I was really impressed with was Cedric Van Pran Granger, who's the center for Georgia right now. And, you know, he's not a guy that's going to – steamroll and overpower guys a whole bunch but as far as just being able to sustain being where he's supposed to be getting guys in the right direction he started as a redshirt freshman 15 games a year ago obviously we saw what they did leading up to the national championship and eventually winning it they're off to a fast start this year but he's the leader of that offensive line as a redshirt sophomore which says a lot about him and then also the left tackle broderick jones i was really impressed with him he does need to gain a little bit of weight he does have that athletic looking type of offensive tackle that still needs to fill out some capacity on his frame. I think he has plenty of room to grow as far as 15 to 20 pounds, but as far as athleticism, he has all the tools. So I don't know if any one of those guys are going to be first round picks, not saying that I think Jones has the capabilities of going higher than Van, Van Pran Granger. Um, but I think both of those guys, I think they could be top 75 to top 100 picks easily. Yeah, so a couple of names to keep an eye on there with that Georgia offensive line. Uh, Jordan, this summer you published the the ESPN HBCU Top 50, uh, a list that I would encourage everybody to go check out. Some of these the, the top players uh, in the league, you know, coming from the HBCU. Help introduce fans to the number one guy uh, on that list as we sit here today. Yeah, that was a really fun project to put together. Something that I started actually two years ago, my last year when I was at the Draft Network, I published the top 40. And this is something that I wanted to do being a former HBCU player myself. 
myself. I wanted to bring some more light to those guys just because we've seen some of those players, and you're seeing one on the Eagles right now, Javon Hargrave, yep. who was a tremendous player, had an opportunity to coach and play against him. So I got to see him from very different types of perspective. We've seen some other players. Shaq Leonard uh, is another player that's yep. had a lot of success in the league, too. Nicobe Durant from the LA Rams. Up, no doubt. Yeah, yep. he's, he's, he's done a tremendous job so far this year, too. So the number one player that was on my list this year was Isaiah Land, who's an edge rusher, outside linebacker type from Florida A&M. Was phenomenal last year. 25 and a half tackles for loss, 19 sacks, both the highest marks in the FCS. Off to a little bit of a slow start this year. We saw what happened against Carolina. We don't need to go in too far in depth about that. Everybody heard about the story. With that, he was one of those players that wasn't eligible for that game. But he did play well against Jackson State. He had a sack in that game, and he played well against Albany State, which is a Division II program in Georgia. He had four quarterback hurries in that contest, too. So he's starting to heat up a little bit, starting to look back, starting to like himself. Um, so that was the number one player. And then I had one more player that I wanted to mention that sure. got a lot of high remarks from scouts. His name is Mark Evans II. He's an offensive lineman from Arkansas Pine Bluff. Uh, small school. The last time that they have somebody drafted was actually Taron Armstead yep. back in 2013. And he's playing tackle for them. He's been a four-year starter, but I think he's going to have to be a center on the next level. He's very reminiscent of Jatari Carter from Southern last year, who ended up playing in the senior bowl, ended up being a seventh-round selection of the Chicago Bears. He ended up making the 53-man roster. So Mark Evans the second from Arkansas Pine Bluff. I think he's another player that could go in that sixth or seventh-round range, too. And Isaiah Land, as you mentioned at the top, uh, this is a guy that won the Buck Buchanan Award last year as the best defensive player in college football, or in, uh, in D2. Um, is, I think when you look at Land, uh, definitely a player uh, to keep an eye on here moving forward into the NFL. Uh, la- one of the last questions I have for you, I love asking people this question. Who's a player that the media and the, you know, the, the rest of draft Twitter right now sleeping on, but they need to know uh, right now, like just based on your conversations with scouts, you're talking with scouts every week. Uh, you know, who's a guy that like the league is high on that maybe the media needs to catch up on. So there's two guys for me that fall under this umbrella as well. And the first one is Keanu Benton. He's a yep. defensive tackle from Wisconsin. And studying him this summer, I mean, I thought he was an incredible player. I thought he was probably a third or fourth round guy. But now, I mean, he's talking about playing himself into the top 75 or even higher. Big matchup this weekend against Ohio State. So this is one of those what I like to call resume games where he has to play really well. We've seen what Jim Leonard has been able to do with that defense up in Wisconsin. So this is a big opportunity for him, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does. And then the other guy that I had written down was Anton Harrison, who's an offensive tackle from Oklahoma, more of that athletic mold. He's just a natural pass protector, needs to get a little bit more aggressive uh, with his hand placement against the run or as a run blocker, I should say. But as far as a pass protector, he's very fluid, very stout, too. So Anton Harrison of Oklahoma, uh, of Oklahoma, excuse me, I think he's a player that could rise as well. Big matchup for him against Kansas State. Kansas State has a really, really talented edge rusher in yeah. Felix and Duque. So I'm looking forward to that matchup this week. Well, that's a good call uh, matchup that I, I thought about hitting on uh, in the next segment. But uh, last question for you. So those are two players that the league is high on that people need to catch up on. Who's the guy that you would just describe as one of your guys? Someone that you know that you're higher on the consensus, but you just feel it in your gut this guy's going to make it in the league? Um, I mean, he's a he's a high ranked guy right now, and I gush over him every time I get to talk about him on social media. And it's Trent Simpson from Clemson. I mean, I just love everything about his game. He's like a, um, I mean, he's just like a Jeremiah Usukaramoe, but an even better version. Mm-hmm. So Trent Simpson, you saw it against Georgia Tech when they had a TV game during the first week of the season. Now he was all over the field, and Clemson's playing really well right now. A big game against Wake Forest this week, and then maybe. 
possibly against top rank uh, NC State as well. So looking forward to going to that game, seeing him in person. I'll be at the Clemson NC State game. So that'll be my first time seeing him up close in that Clemson defense. And we saw what they've been able to do this year. So Trent Simpson, linebacker from Clemson, I like him a lot. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. You can check out all of his work over at ESPN. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Absolutely. Thanks as always, friend. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, let's now turn our attention to this weekend in college football as we start Saturday scouting with our friend Ben Fennell. And Ben, uh, let's start things off with our uh, our matchups to watch. A one-on-one battle we're most excited to see this weekend. I'll let you kick it off this week. There's some good Big Ten battles like Michigan against Maryland. Cornerback DJ Turner is going to have a litmus of challenges there with uh, Dante Demas, Jared yep. Copeland. Uh, Jacob Copeland, Rakeem Jarrett. Most of those guys have actually gotten off to pretty slow starts. Rakeem Jarrett uh, seems to be the hot one right now. But Michigan's got a bunch of veteran DBs out there. Jamon Green at the nickel. Um, and last year, Michigan absolutely whooped this Maryland team. Yes. So uh, a lot of eyes on that Maryland offense. And uh, Tagliavoa, the lo- younger brother of Tua. Um, and a lot of press coverage out there from Michigan, so a lot of eyes on this uh, this game on the perimeter. Yeah, I, when I was going through the the slate, I saw that one. And I was like, Ben's going to do DJ Turner versus Maryland receivers. I know it because I know how much you like DJ Turner. Uh, for those that weren't listening a few weeks ago when you did break him down, uh, what do you like most about DJ Turner's game? What's the the kind of the the uh, elevator speech on him as a prospect? So press coverage. You know, smothering corner out there with uh, really good traits and foot speed and quickness and long speed uh, just hasn't gotten on the field a whole ton. So he had a really strong 2021, strong start to 2022, and looks like he's kind of in the mold of being a press cover corner. Nice. All right, well, I'm going to stick in the Big Ten for mine. Wisconsin, Ohio State, uh, that's Saturday, 7.30 on on ABC. Looking at the end of the trenches here for this one, and we, we talked in the last segment about Keanu Benton uh, with Jordan Reed, but don't, don't forget about the, that pass rusher, uh, Nick Herbig. Uh, this is a guy I know, Ben, that you have studied. Really good matchup for him going up against Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones, the two tackles for the Buckeyes. Paris Johnson on the left side, potential uh, high first-round pick. Dewan Jones, we'll see exactly where he goes, but this is a mammoth offensive tackle on the right side uh, for Ohio State. Herbig has played a little bit of both sides. He's played some left, some right off the edge. Uh, hand in the dirt, two-point stance, the, the versatility certainly there. So watching him go up against uh, both Johnson and Jones, that will be one of the first tapes that people go back and watch when they're studying uh, Nick Herbing. And also, honestly, uh, one of the better tests in the Big Ten for both Johnson and Jones. So I, I think this is a really good uh, a good matchup here for both of those guys. A lot to watch there in the trenches. And you think Nick Herbig's an NFL prospect? Uh, I think that he's a guy that we're, this is going to be one of those litmus tests for him. I think he's a prospect. It's just a matter of like how, how high, how high are we talking? I don't know that we're talking about him in the top 50 picks, anything like that, but uh, I think he's someone certainly uh, we want to keep an eye on here. Um, let's go to the next one here. Most to gain, a player that could really benefit from a strong performance uh, this weekend. And for me, uh, this is a player that we kicked off the last conversation with, with Jordan, and that was Tyree Wilson, the Texas Tech pass rusher. Since we talked so much about him already here on the show, I don't need to dive into the nitty-gritty on him, but uh, he is going up against Texas this week. And remember, Texas, uh, they just faced Alabama recently, and they kept Will Anderson quiet for most of that game. This should be a pretty interesting matchup here for Tyree Wilson. This is 3.30 on ESPN. If he can go up on a big stage against Texas and, and come out with a big game, uh, I think that'll, be a, that'll go a long way towards how he's viewed from an NFL draft standpoint, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Am I... Uh... Most of the game this week is going to be Big 12 leading rusher Deuce Vaughn against Oklahoma. Not 
B. John Robinson, actually. Right. Deuce Vaughn is leading the conference. And it was week four last year that his strong start to the season kind of fell off. Had three okay. straight 100-yard games last year. Oklahoma State came to town. They only had 22 yards rushing, only 51 yards rushing against these Oklahoma Sooners last year. So I want to see kind of a bounce-back game and a strong you know, consistent season from Deuce Vaughn. So this kind of middle of the season last year is when things started to kind of take a back seat. So he'll be facing big Oklahoma linebacker Danny Stutzman, who's 6'4", 240, absolute tackling machine, I think leading the conference in tackles right now. So a mm. uh, good matchup there against the leading rusher. Love that. Deuce Vaughn, one of the most fun players uh, in the entire country. Let's now get to our prospects after dark. A player pl- that's playing in a game, 8 o'clock start time or later. I'm going to a wedding uh, here uh, here on Saturday. So uh, during the day, um, you know, that could be a, uh, I won't be watching as much college football, but I hope to get at night. I want to get home 1030, 1030 at night here. FS1, Stanford, Washington, prospect after dark for me, Stanford corner, Caillou Blue Kelly, uh, who's going to be uh, likely in this NFL draft. And I think when you look at him against this Washington pass game, we talked earlier this week, Ben, uh, Michael Penix Jr., uh, they had the young kid Polk that had a huge game, three touchdowns against Michigan State, and Penix was slinging it. So watching Stanford uh, and, and this defense go up against that Washington offense, keep an eye on the corner, Caillou Blue Kelly. Yeah, it should be a fun matchup there. We have Arizona State, Utah as well. 10:30 Saturday night. Arizona State, obviously, I think Herm Edwards got the yes. can last week, so they're looking to bounce back as a uh, as a program. But they have a running back, Xavier Valade. Three straight hundred yard games, nearly seven uh, yards per rush. Going to face a tough Utah front seven out there. This kid's a Wyoming transfer, 3,000-yard rusher in his career, right. over 600 carries, a lot of tread on the tires, but he looks fresh even even so. 600-plus carries at Wyoming with a over a 5.0 uh, average yards per rush. So he's a productive kid with a lot of carries and productivity in his career. Good size, too. He's like six foot 210. He looks the part out there, and he's had a, a pretty good three weeks. Mm, yeah, he, he's a guy that's been on the radar because, like you said, he transferred from Wyoming where he was productive. Uh, I think there were thoughts that he was going to be in that draft last uh, last spring, but uh, obviously transferred, ends up in the Pac-12, uh, see if he can continue uh, this production. Um, for me, let's now let's transition to the next one. Call your shot. Predict a big game here from a prospect for this weekend. Uh, ben, I'll let you kick this one off. I think Cedric Tillman at Tennessee is going to mm. have a bounce-back game against Florida. It was really his worst game last year, only 10 receiving yards in the 2021 contest. And Tennessee never really got off uh, to a hot start against those Florida Gators. So I think he's going to have a bounce-back game out there with Hendon Hooker, and those Florida Gators are going to get upset by the Tennessee Vols. I don't want to uh, spoil anything for people that are going to be listening later in the show with Ross, but I, I, I might agree with you uh, on that one based off one of our categories in the next segment. Uh, I'm going to stick with the receiver here, Ben, and looking at SMU wide receiver Rasheed Rice. Uh, you did a thorough breakdown on him a couple of weeks ago here on the show. Dane Brugler profiled him over the summer. Uh, leads the FBS right now with 10 catches of 20 plus so far this season. So big play threat down there for the Mustangs. They face TCU Saturday afternoon at 12 Eastern uh, on ESPNU. Now, TCU, when you look at uh, their defense, they are further down the list on the explosive play percentage, according to Pro Football Focus. So uh, while they've got some good corners uh, on that defense, they've been giving up some big plays. Remember, they're working in a new defensive scheme of the coaching change here this offseason. So uh, I'm going to make a call here. Rasheed Rice, 
continue some of his big plays here for SMU going up against the Horned Frogs uh, down there uh, at, at TCU. So uh, that's a big one to watch. Let's go to our uh, comparison chats here, Ben. I'll let you uh, kick this one off. Use an NFL comparison to profile uh, a prospect that's taking the field on Saturday. So one of the unicorns in college football this season, Trenton Simpson, safety outside linebacker uh, for the Clemson Tigers, long, rangy, athletic, explosive, kind of a jack-of-all-trades out there. He can do a lot of different things. He can run the perimeter, destroy perimeter action blocks. He can cover, can turn and run, great blitzer, can play in the box as a Mike or a Will as well. So finding a comparison for this uh, type of player is always challenging. And I'm looking over to Boss Bailey. If you remember him coming out of Georgia uh, in 2003, which was a first-team All-American, SEC champ, 34th overall pick, so just missed uh, being a first-round pick. And Boss Bailey was a heck of a prospect and a heck of a player early in his NFL career that completely got overshadowed by his uh, younger brother's career, or older brother's career, uh, Champ Bailey, obviously. But Boss Bailey was 6'3", 233, almost 33-inch arms, ran 4'5", 42-inch vertical, 11'3", broad, so the explosiveness, the height, weight, speed ability was on a lot of people's all-rookie team his first year in the NFL, so he looked the part immediately. Just if you try to watch any of his tape, he has those old-school shoulder pads, and he just looks like so much of a bigger player, but it's really the same type of mold that Trenton Simpson's in. I love um, this. So whether it's a, you know, I think some people are looking at like maybe a Telvin Smith or a, you know, a Jeremy Chin type of player. Go back a couple more years. I think Boss Bailey was a really high-level player in the SEC and a pretty good pro early on then dealt with some injuries and things like that. But uh, an exciting athlete uh, coming out of Georgia. He was definitely a favorite of mine in Madden uh, franchise mode when he first came out. That was when the Lions first switched to those New Jersey yep. colors. And mm-hmm. uh, remember, they had all those high picks on offense. So like uh, Roy Williams and Mike Williams and Kevin Jones. So that was a, that was a fun team uh, to play with in Madden and Boss Bailey's uh, early days. But I, lo- I love that comparison. That's a great one. Um, I'm going to stick here at linebacker. And I want to talk through uh, Iowa's Jack Campbell. Uh, they take on Rutgers uh, th- on Saturday evening, 7 o'clock on FS1. Jack Campbell, you know, I think I talked about him in the Big Ten preview. If not, it was shortly afterwards. Uh, this is a guy that I think checks every box you're looking for uh, to play linebacker in the NFL. He's got instincts. He plays through contact extremely well. This is a big-bodied kid who's really fluid. He's got instincts in coverage and against the run. He's a really good tackler. Again, you're just checking boxes with him. The only question you have is the top-end speed. And so, like, T.J. Edwards definitely comes to mind as a guy that, uh, again, checked all the boxes when he was at Wisconsin, was extremely productive, four-year starter, three-year captain, uh, but ran in the four-eighths, and so he became an undrafted player. What's going to happen with Jack Campbell? I think it's going to be fascinating. If he runs well, I think you're going to see all the, the Leighton Van Der Esch com- uh, comparisons. Van Der Esch, uh, coming out was, oh, well, he, he, again, checks all these boxes, and then he goes and he tests really, really well at the Combine, and now people feel validated having him in the first round, having him in the top 40 picks. Uh, will that happen with Jack Campbell? I'm not quite sure. But, Ben, I think it just kind of leads to a bigger conversation that you and I have had offline over the last couple of days just talking about linebacker and how important is top-end speed when it's all said and done at that position. It's a, a fascinating conversation when you talk about the the dynamics of the way those guys are used in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. It's much more of an instinctual, short area quickness type of position than just a straight-line, linear speed. Yeah, I think when you look at, uh, at Campbell, again, just checks uh, so many boxes. Um, let's go now to our, our final segment here in Saturday Scouting, and that's uh, our mock draft roundup, where this week we're going to head on over to the Draft Network. Keith Sanchez just put out his most recent mock draft over at TDN. Top five picks here, uh, right, off the, right off the top. 
New York Jets taking pass rusher Will Anders from, from Alabama. Atlanta Falcons taking defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Again, for T, especially at TDN, it seems like those two guys always one and two. Houston taking the first quarterback off the board with Alabama's Bryce Young. Another quarterback off the board at number four to the Carolina Panthers. Will Levis from Kentucky, second QB off the board here in this mock draft. And then Jacksonville taking Georgia left tackle Broderick Jones, a player that Jordan Reed uh, highlighted earlier on the show. So, uh, Ben, those top five picks, I think we're going to come back and have a little bit of a discussion with that. But Broderick Jones, uh, the name that stands out uh, as being here in this in, in this top five. Again, we're always kind of looking who's the guy that shocks us at being up there. For me, uh, Broderick Jones, uh, certainly a name to uh, to keep in mind here, walking away from that top five. But the Eagles' first pick in this mock draft, number eighteen overall. Bijan Robinson, running back from Texas. And uh, this is the pick from the New Orleans Saints. Here's the blurb here um, from Keith. This Philadelphia roster is quickly becoming one of the best rosters in the NFL. So the Eagles have the luxury of making a luxury pick here. Uh, and nothing says luxury like grabbing the best running back in the draft to pair with Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and this offensive line. The addition of Bijan Robinson could make this offense unstoppable. So, Ben, um, you know, we've, we've, we've gone through Bijan Robinson plenty. Uh, you know, we've talked through him almost on a weekly basis here especially in this segment. I think he's going to be a very popular pick for the Eagles in a lot of mock drafts for the reasons that Keith outlined. But what is it, what one trait about Bijan makes him a lock for the top 20? Why is it that he is in every top 20 of every mock draft? Because he has an elite combination of elusiveness and physicality. I think that's really what you want for a running back. And I could really care less if he runs four, five, six. Right, yep. Four, six, five. Okay, if he jumps 33 inches, his tape checks out. And he, I think he has all the traits on the film that you want from an NFL running back. Yeah, and as always, we're going to kind of highlight who are the six players that are going around the Eagles selection. So the three picks just before the Eagles made their pick at 18 here in this mock draft. Arizona taking South Carolina corner Cam Smith. 16 overall, the Houston Texans taking Clemson defensive lineman Brian Brezzi. A shocker here. Las, Las Vegas Raiders at 17, taking USC interior offensive lineman Andrew Voorhees. The three guys that went after Bijan Robinson in this mock draft. Cincinnati taking Georgia corner Kaylee Ringo. The Colts taking wide receiver Jordan Addison from USC. And then Seattle taking Alabama linebacker Henry Toyo Toyo. So, Ben, uh, looking at those six players in a vacuum, which one surprises you most uh, and why uh, in terms of their selection? There's a couple interesting ones. I don't see Andrew Voorhees as being a first-round type of talent. I see him more as like a back-end day-two player with good versatility, strong player. Um, I think seeing Noah uh, Sewell that high up is interesting as well. I know the Titans want to bolster that off-ball linebacker position and find a mainstay, but I just don't think Noah Sewell is going to have high-level traits or ability to kind of make him coveted in the first round mm. uh, collectively. So some interesting picks in there. Kaylee Ringo taking a back seat to uh, Cam Smith as cornerback yeah, too. Sure. No cornerbacks in the top 14 picks. Can't remember the last time that happened in the NFL or right. NFL draft. So a bunch of interesting picks there. Yeah, Henry Toyo Toyo uh, at that point too. I think it would be um, a matter of like testing uh, from that standpoint. I think that's the, when we've seen the linebackers go that high. Typically, it's because they test really, really well. And to your point, I think you'll say the same thing about Noah Sewell, right? Is hey, all right if he tests like a freak, then I think you start having that conversation with him that high. But uh, it's been tough to find linebackers that don't test really, really well end up that high. And the, the problem with Noah Sewell is he doesn't play like a freak, right? So. Was, you know, we're missing some traits here. So Devin White played like a freak, yep. tested like a freak. He got drafted like a freak. You know, Roquan Smith played yes. like a freak. That was enough, you know. So I just don't see him checking the kind of two-tiered box of being a high-level trait guy and having the freakish tape. 
So we got to fast forward a little bit all the way to pick number 28 for the Eagles pick in this mock draft. And, and this is the blurb uh, from Keith here as he has them selecting Alabama safety Jordan Battle. Uh, Keith says, this pick helps address the Eagles' worst position group. The Eagles have a good front seven and solid corners, but their safety position leaves much to be desired. Jordan Battle has the flexibility to play as a, sa- as a free safety or in the box. Battle should step in immediately and boost the safety position for the Eagles. Now, uh, Ben, I will first first say, I, would, I don't know that I would say that safety group is, uh, is a, a weak point for this Eagles team, looking at Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Marcus Epps uh, has really, really played well uh, through these first two games. But uh, just looking at Jordan Battle, how do you think he fits in a scheme like the Eagles in terms of what they ask their safeties to do? Well, they ask him to do everything, and Jordan Battle's a smart veteran player out there that should be a nice addition to most defensive back rooms. Now, the conversation with Jordan Battle is, what type of draft capital are you going to spend on him? Yep. Uh, this is probably a little richer than most have him projected or probably have him graded at the moment. But I think any defensive back room, any defensive back coach would love the addition of Jordan Battle. All right, well, let's get to uh, the, the six guys that went right around this selection for the Eagles. The three right before Green Bay at 25, taking TCU wide receiver Quentin Johnson. 26, the Detroit Lions taking Florida defensive tackle Jervon Dexter. And then the Chargers at 27, taking Michigan wide receiver Cornelius Johnson. Now the three picks right after the Eagles. Kansas City taking Notre Dame pass rusher Isaiah Foskey. Tampa Bay selecting running back Jameer Gibbs from Alabama. And then Buffalo at 31, taking safety Brian Branch from Alabama, a player that you highlighted earlier this week, Ben, here on the show. Um, Ben, of those six picks, which one just makes the most sense? Which one are you like, oh, yeah, definitely can see this pick, this player fit? I love seeing the Lions continue to bolster the trenches. Yeah. It seems like that's a, uh, you know, a point of emphasis for uh, Dan Campbell and this new regime out there and adding guys like Penny Sewell and Aiden Hutchinson and other high-level prospects. I think, uh, you know, Gervin Dexter out of Florida is kind of going to fit that and be an absolute terror as a three-tech. For me, uh, Brian Branch, uh, obviously, I think both safeties, I'm pretty sure both Poyer and Hyde, I think, are free agents uh, after this year. Um, I know at least Poyer is, so uh, I think that would that, that makes a ton of sense in terms of just plugging that hole. I know that's a very popular position fit, uh, and then you're just re- recycling out names there uh, with the Bills at safety on the end of mock drafts. But um, Brian Branch, I think, makes a lot of sense for that scheme and for that team in that situation. That'd so. be interesting because Branch plays much more of a role that like Taron Johnson plays for them, mm. more in that kind of nickel hybrid down position than a back-end too deep player. Do you feel like when he goes to the league, because I haven't done branch yet, do you feel like when he goes to the league that he sticks to be more of like that nickel presence, or do you think he's more with where he goes? He's yep. a really strong, smart, athletic player. He's this year's version of Dax Hill. Yeah, right. Need a corner, go play corner. Yep. You need a free single high safety, go play single high. You need dime linebacker or a matchup guy against uh, tight ends. You could probably do all that. So mm. I think where they go will determine that. But Brian Branch can do a lot of different things. Cornelius Johnson, the wide receiver from Michigan, that would surprise me if he went that high. Uh, the he's He's a, he's a big body for certain, uh, but pairing him with Mike Williams, uh, I don't know. There might be like too much uh, repetition there, but uh, I think uh, that was another one that kind of stood out to me on yeah. the back end. I don't love the Quentin Johnson in Green Bay either. He already fits the profile of you know Christian Watson, what they already have, the size of Alan Lazard. They really need to turn the page with the hybrid kind of slot position. Mm. Amari Rodgers hasn't worked out. Randall Cobb's obviously getting older. It's like a Josh Downs type of player. I think some sort of speed gadget yeah. presence is exactly what LaFleur wants. Interesting. All right, well, let's, uh, 
since we've spent a lot of time talking about like the back half of this mock draft, real quick, just rewind back to that top 15. Is there a guy in the top 15 that just made you say, whoa? You might say, whoa, for a number of different reasons. I'll let you say why you had that response, but which one uh, stands out to you there? It's not that Will Levis is in the top 15, but just ahead of C.J. Stroud yep. is something I just cannot get behind. I think C.J. Stroud is quarterback one right now, and he's going to finish quarterback one. I mm. think he does the best job at playing the quarterback position. Bryce Young is exciting and athletic, probably more plays out of structure, also lacking the tr- traditional size profile. You're getting much more of a Russell Wilson type of player or Bryce Young. C.J. Stroud, I think, just has all the tools, looks the part, does everything right as far as playing the quarterback position first and foremost. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, yeah, C.J. Stroud at QB3 and then uh, Anthony Richardson right there at QB4. Four guys in the top eight. And so here's what here's how I only look at it. It's almost like a um, – you know, like looking at like the financial district, right? Is like, if you have four quarterbacks that are valued in the top eight, I know that it just seems like it's just preconceived. It's definitely going to happen that uh, Will Anderson's going to go one, Jalen Carter's going to go two. Do you feel like that's like definitely going to be the case if you got four quarterbacks that are valued that highly in the draft? Like, I, obviously, it's going to depend on who has like that number one pick. But at that point, like you're holding that pick for ransom uh, if, you, if you have four quarterbacks that are going to be seen as that high quality of prospect. And, and conversely, it could be crazy to see Will Anderson fall to five or six if everyone right, goes quarterback no early. Yep. So yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation there. And just to kind of harp on the Will Levis, the three names I have written down in his comparison box are Carson Wentz, Josh Allen, and Blake Bortles. Right. The wide, wide variance here. No question. But what was collectively all three of their kind of issues in college into the NFL? Accuracy, ball plays. No question. Yep. But they were all first-round picks, yep. high first-round picks, immediate starters, all great size, NFL kind of prototype for the position. That's what your game will leave us. He's like 6'4", 230, thick, rocket arm. Can he clean up the mechanics and the down-to-down play, be more responsible, be more accurate? Josh Allen's taking the step forward. Yep. Wentz has kind of swirled. Blake Bortles kind of fell off. So I think uh, the opportunity is there for, for Will Levis, but finding a apples-to-apples comparison situation uh, is going to be tough. Yeah, I think it's, it's just going to be fascinating with, those, with all of those guys, with the quarterbacks, because uh, if you, again, if you view them to be that high a quality of prospect, then it's almost like, all right, then you, you know, they have to be considered there in the, in the top two, top three. If you don't think that they're going to be worthy of that, and you're like, oh, well, yeah, you have to take Will Anderson or you have to take Jalen Carter ahead of those guys, well, then it's almost like those quarterbacks, it should be like last, not last year, but maybe uh, the year before where you see Justin Fields fall outside the top 12. You see Mac Jones fall into the 15, and that's where you see these quarterbacks go, right? I feel like it can't be both. Uh, that's what it'll be fascinating to watch. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll see. we got eight months left. I think uh, everybody we, gets rocketed up this year. You know how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. I, Anthony I Richardson's going to go in that same ballpark. Will Levis is going to go in that same ballpark. Somebody might fall in love with somebody, you know, else behind the scenes in the draft process, like a – Sam Hartman or something right, like that, yep. for all we know. So um, I think these guys are going to get rocketed up this year. And two weeks in the NFL season, I see some needs out there. Yep. I need. I see some needs for depth. I see some needs for starters. And the cycle continues. It's just weird. We're like we're two weeks into the NFL season, and I said at the very top of the show, like this is the this is the quarter pole of college football. We're going into week four. This yeah. is wild how, how fast uh, the college season goes by. But, Ben, uh, great as always to catch up. We'll see you next week. Uh, me, you, and Dane breaking it down, everything we see here in week four in college football. Now it's time for Pick 6. 
All right, time for maybe my favorite part of the show, and that's when I get to welcome my buddy Ross Tucker in. It's time for Pick 6. Ross extended my lead last week, man. I nearly got you two on two straight upsets because Temple made it very interesting versus Rutgers but fell short. I got a point on uh, Kayshawn Boutte, the under on four and a half catches against Mississippi State, and I got a point on Jared Broussard's uh, yards per carry uh, last week as well. So starting to extend my lead a little bit. Uh, I'm up ten to or 16 to 10. Uh, we'll see if you can make up some ground, my man. Well, two things. First of all, stop living in the past. Let's move on <laughs> to the to the present. And secondly, you know, you really should be better than me at this. I mean, you're the one that sets all these questions and the lines and stuff. So you should be more knowledgeable, but that's okay. All I got to do is hit on one of these upsets. That's it. That's what it's all about. So uh, let's get into our first one, man. We're going to go into the SEC for our first pick of the week. Arkansas versus Texas A&M. Who do you like here in this game? I love Arkansas. Um, it's I, I could get into a, a much longer reason why, but they just have the better quarterback. I mean, yeah. I, I just have a lot more faith in a close game and KJ Jefferson's ability to make plays and pull it out late than I do in Texas A&M. Whoever's a quarterback, Max Johnson, I, I, I don't care. I like KJ Jefferson. I don't really think Miami's that good. Miami's overrated. A&M just beat them. Give me the Razorbacks. Uh, I was just going to ask you if that like weighed on you at all. Like, do you kind of look at that win of Miami and say like, all right, like is that like a wake up call for A and M after the loss to to App State? And you say, all right, are they are they ready to start rolling now? I went back and forth on this, man, because I really like what Arkansas has done the last two years with Sam Pittman as the head coach. Uh, I am a fan of K.J. Jefferson, the player, as well. Um, So just kind of looking at the way uh, this matchup is going to set up. I'm going to take the Razorbacks, too. Uh, we were on the same side for both of our pickems last week, and both of them hit. We both we both got points uh, in that one, but uh, I'm going to stay on that on that side of you here as well. Uh, I will take Arkansas over the Aggies. Let's go now to the next one here. Notre Dame, North Carolina. Notre Dame's been a little bit up and down uh, going up against North Carolina, and it also has like, faced some injuries and obviously a lot of turnover uh, on, with that organization as well. Who do you like here between uh, between the Irish and the Heels? Going back and forth on this one. Yeah, this is a tough Back one. and forth on this one. Ultimately, I'm going to go UNC. Okay. Because they're at home, and I just – Notre Dame's quarterback play is not good enough. No. I'm amazed that that's what they have at that position at that school. Give me the Tar Heels. I'm going to bet on the on the Irish defense. Uh, I, I'll take Notre Dame here. Um, yeah, I, I agree. They're, they have to get the passing game sorted out because uh, they're, they're, the turnovers have been brutal. Uh, they they have just got to uh, be a little bit more efficient on that side of the football. I'll bet on them doing that this week uh, against a North Carolina team that always plays them tough. But uh, give me the Irish here in this game. So we'll, we'll split uh, in our pickums this week. Let's now go to our uh, over under, and I'm I'm betting on a big game here, Ross. So this is what I'm setting the over under at 99 and a half. Basically, will Tennessee stud wide receiver, the senior uh, Cedric Tillman for the Volunteers, will he put up a, a, a bill? Will he put up 100 yards against Florida? Big matchup here in the SEC. Tennessee, Florida. Is, uh, is Tillman capable of going 100-plus against the Gator secondary? He's capable, but if we're deciding right now whether to go with over or under, I'll go with under. I mean, that's, that's a lot of yards, man. I mean, he's a really good player, but Florida knows that. They're going to try to stop that. It's a lot of yards to predict a guy to have over a 100-yard game. I'll go under. 
It is, it is a lot of yards. Uh, I went back. He obviously, uh, you know, the couple weeks ago against Pitt, he went for nine for 162. Uh, hasn't really played a full four quarters in the other two games. They play, they beat up on Akron last week. They put up 63. They put up 59 against uh, against Ball State uh, back in week one. But I think when you look at Tillman, his height, weight, speed, man, let me, uh, it could be a little bit of action here. I think, I think when you look at Anthony Richardson uh, and that high-flying Florida offense, what they're capable of doing, uh, this could be a shootout. I wonder if they're just going to try and find ways to be able to feed Seth. Cedric Tillman, the football. So uh, I will take the over. Uh, I'll bet on a 100-yard game here from the senior wide receiver, Cedric Tillman. Just a fantastic prospect from a height-weight speed element on the perimeter. Let's go now to our either-or segment here. And we're going to go uh, basically which which number is higher? Uh, is it going to be the the tackles uh, for, uh, for Clemson linebacker Trenton Simpson? And that's solo tackles per ESPN. So we we have the source because obviously tackle numbers can get a little bit wonky. So solo tackles per ESPN for Clemson linebacker Trenton Simpson, a player that uh, is in a lot of mock drafts, if not every first-round mock draft at this point, or catches for stud Wake Forest wide receiver A.T. Perry, who is uh, going to be this year's version of Drake London from a uh, like size, like go up and win at the catch point type of player. I don't know that Perry's going to get drafted as highly as Drake London, but uh, in terms of play style, that's what you're getting. So Trenton Simpson, A.T. Perry, which number is higher, the solo tackles or the catches? Catches. I'm going A.T. Perry. I think Wake Forest needs A.T. Perry yeah. to, to play well and to make a bunch of plays to win the game. He is huge. He's an absolute weapon, and I think they're going to feed him. Clemson lost both starting corners from last year, Goodrich as well as Booth. I know they got other guys, but solo tackles are also hard to get, solo compared to a, a assisted tackle. I'll take A.T. Perry in this one. Yeah, he had. If you go back to the last time they played a Power Five team, Clemson, it was Georgia Tech in Week One, that Monday Night Football game. Uh, he had six on the day, so really, it's a matter of like, and that was the that was a a season high so far for Trenton Simpson. He only had two last week. To, to your point, those solo tackles can be tough to come by. I think when you look at Wake Forest offense, just that how spread out it is. Trenton Simpson is more of a space player. I'm going to bet on him just being able to track some of these plays down. I will take the over here and say, or not the over, but I will take uh, Trenton Simpson's tackles here uh, and say, like, let's bet on his ability to track some of these ball carriers down uh, on his own in pursuit. Let's get to our, our high-low. And again, which number is higher? And Ross, I had a lot of fun with this one. This one hit me uh, while listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast this week, uh, your Power Rankings episode. So, all right, this could be a fun number to play with. And we're going to take a look at the Iowa-Rutgers game. So we're going into Big Ten country. Iowa's margin of victory over Rutgers. Or where are the L.A. Rams going to reside on your power rankings in next week's Ross Tucker football podcast? They were seven this week. They play the Arizona Cardinals. So depending on how exactly you think that game's going to go, this is something you are in control of, by the way. So I am giving you uh, the ability to affect it, depending on how much you care about this segment. Uh, I will say the push. <laughs> the push will go uh, to Iowa. Uh, I will let you make the call. Which number is higher? Uh, the, the Rams in your power rankings or Iowa's margin of victory? Well, first of all, um, I would always keep my Ross Tucker football <laughs> podcast power ranking integrity. So I'm going to put them where they, where they, where I think they should be no matter what, which I think is probably, you know, five or six yep. if, after they beat the Cardinals in my mind. But I think Rutgers is pretty tough. I know it was a tough game against your alma mater. I, I kind of like Rutgers to hang in that one. I don't think Iowa puts many points or pulls away from anybody. So I'll take the Rams power ranking number to be higher. I wouldn't be shocked if Rutgers wins that game. 
Yeah, and dude, Iowa's offense has just been uh, like brutal is not even the right word. It has been a slog fest trying to put points on the board for that team. So I could definitely see Rutgers hanging with this game. Um, but just because of the fun element of this, I, almost want, I just want to root against it. Uh, I will take Iowa here and just see uh, how you'll be affected uh, with the Rams' power rankings. And I can rub that in your face next week when you say that I've got all the control uh, for how these categories uh, pan out. That said, let's get into uh, the category that allows us to make up the most ground and you uh, right now you need one of these to hit i'll let you go with your your upset special first stanford yeah there were several one. i looked at and kind of liked but i'm gonna go with the stanford cardinal like their quarterback tanner mckee and i just think washington's poised for a step back after the michigan state win that was a big game a lot of eyeballs they they played well i think stanford goes to uh plays against Washington and wins that game. That's my upset. I love it. Um I was I was close to picking that one. I talked about that matchup a little bit earlier in the show with Ben. Um I, that was one that I was very close to taking. Uh there were a couple juicy ones here, man. Uh, I I couldn't there was no way I could talk to uh, Emory Hunt and look him in the face if I took uh, Monroe over Louisiana. So uh I didn't go that direction. You know where I ended up? How about South Florida against Louisville? Uh, I, I will take USF. I'll take the Bulls here uh, from the American Athletic Conference, getting the, the, the upset here over some ACC competition. Give me USF uh, against Louisville. They're, they're obviously, they've got the dynamic quarterback in Malik Cunningham, but uh, USF, they're, they're always a tough out. Uh, I will take the Bulls here, man, and we'll see, uh, we'll see if I'm able to extend this lead. Ooh, I don't know. Malik Cunningham can roll. That'll be a good one. That'll be a good one, man. Well, Ross, uh, appreciate the time, as always, here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. We'll catch you next week here for Pick 6. Sounds great. Can't wait. Great stuff this week from Ross Tucker, Ben Fennell, and Jordan Reed. Obviously, outstanding stuff earlier this week with Dane Brugler, Gabriella DiGiovanni as well. Make sure you stay subscribed right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. We'll be back next week breaking down everything we saw this weekend in college football right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.